When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the Glazer Family Gold Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. Glazer Family Gold. Do I like it? I know I didn't give you enough time. Uh, the C plus. Where oh, where would you grade okay. yourself? Eh, B minus. No, I'd be minor. You'd be a little more generous. I mean, because we are talking about the Glazer family and uh, the man you, I won't say sale, because it's not really about the sale of menu. What Brendan Coffey did was went back and looked at all the public filings since um, the patriarch, Malcolm Glazer, bought the team and tried to add up exactly how much they had taken out of the club. So this has nothing to do with the sale of the club, which may or may not happen, could be, you know, whatever. But Brendan uh, did the math, and this was just addition, and he says that the Glazers have taken out $1.32 billion in stock sale, dividends, proceeds, and other payments. So even before the sale, that it's been a billion-dollar plus for them. And it's a great piece of reporting and uh, just coincidentally happens to be almost exactly the value in U.S. dollars that the Glazers paid for the team back in 2005 in a a leverage buyout situation. So so, so they took over the team in 2005. The IPO happened in 2012, I believe. A lot of that $1.3 billion you're talking about, Scott, happened in stock sale proceeds right around that time. But yeah, if if you add up the stock sale proceeds, dividends, other payments from the club to the Glazer family, uh, $1.3, $1.3, $1.4 billion. Again, exactly what they paid for the team back in, in, in 2005. And if this sale is to happen, Scott, I think you and I probably agree it's it's going to be around $6 billion, maybe even a little bit more. Uh, not a bad uh, set of finances for a, for, for a 20-year ownership. Yeah, you pointed out that Chelsea lost hundreds of millions of dollars each year and we're trying to figure out, is there a way that the Glazers were deep in the red on this? Like, impossible for us to know, but my guess would be no. They didn't operate the same way that 
Chelsea was operated under Roman Abramovich. And even if they are, the just the the, the sheer the sale alone, yeah. the value appreciation that we're seeing again, going from one point five billion dollars up to six billion, maybe even more, is going to more than more than cover up for that. All right, you know stadiums better than I do. Is there a particular gate at Old Trafford that's famous or where people go? I have no idea. Oh, but, geez. <laughs> yeah, you can just say I have no idea. Have that's no fine. Idea. <laughs> yeah. I hit you with a Tom Keen esque <laughs> yeah. question there, didn't Ooh. I? Huh? My, yeah, huh? my gate knowledge at Old Trafford Stadium for, is uh, well, all of for, it is pretty poor. Is there a Brandenburg gate type esque at, at Old Trafford? Because and I was I'm going somewhere with this because you mentioned leverage buyouts earlier, and, and I keep hearing you know, we, we're talking about the debt that was used mm. to fund the RSN purchase with Sinclair. Um, I, and, I, and I keep saying, did anybody read Barbarians? Barbarians, I knew, I knew exactly yeah. where you were going with yeah, it. Yeah, you know, Nabisco. I mean, I like the crackers, but did anybody read about, you know, sort of the LBOs and how that turned out? And I mean, John Hellyer uh, co-wrote one of my favorite books and John was a colleague of ours. And uh, I think he signed my book. I got to, it's, yeah, I haven't unpacked since I moved, I, I, whatever. I got to find that book somewhere. But fascinating to have worked with John while he's reported stories and to read it and be able to talk to John about reporting that that out. Um, it just seems like nobody really sort of looks back. <laughs> it says, yeah, maybe this, this might not work out so well. It, it, it's a really, I mean, we're we're at this fascinating time right now for for a lot of team sales, which you and I have discussed, but but particularly around Man United, we we know of at least two bidders. We have Jim Ratcliffe, the chairman of Ineos. We have Jasim bin Hamad Al Thani, uh, who, whose money is in Qatar. Uh, probably a few more bidders as well. And then Scott, we can talk about Elliott Management as well because some reporting over the weekend about their potential interest in being involved, and that interest may include the Glazer family staying on. Staying on, yeah. And if you follow the Man United stock price uh, on Monday, tumbled about thirteen percent. Not an insignificant amount by any means. And the, the general assumption or belief from people who follow the stock is that that tumble was because of the potentially increased likelihood that the, at the end of whatever this this sale, quote unquote, sale process looks like, that the Glazers are still in charge of this team moving forward. Well, what was the bump since the sale was announced and then the, you know, the interest of the Qatari group and... Also, then you know Ratliff being interested was it up by like thirty percent? So yeah, it's 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 up a lot. It's just such an interesting way of I mean, for 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 owners of publicly traded teams, and there's honestly there's not that many of them. It's such a direct way of seeing how why don't you like me va- values <laughs> your stewardship, right? It's right. The minute the Glazers said this team was potentially for sale, stock shoots up. The minute it looks like oh the Glazers may be sa- staying on, stock goes back down. Uh, it, it's such a real and tangible way of seeing just how much investors and, and, and financial institutions uh, believe you are worth at, at, at the helm of one of the most powerful and one of the most popular and one of the richest sports teams in the world. It'd be a lot of fun to have all of the big four U.S. sports, or we can say big five now, as publicly traded companies as a measuring stick for owner popularity. Yeah, if they all were, and if they all just said for sale. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think there are some teams in New York that would probably jump in value. I think with new ownership, I, the 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 Washington Commanders, another team that's for sale. I think you would very much argue that under under different ownership, uh, worth a bit more than than they're worth right now. But you're right. I think you you would see, and the opposite is also true. I think there are definitely teams out there for whom. If the owner uh, was to announce he or she was to say, "Yeah, this team is for sale," I think the value would would probably go so down. So let's a bit be let's well. be nice. Uh, let's be on the nice side of the ledger today. And I'm not <laughs> often on the nice side of the ledger. I don't mind taking shots, but let let's be on the nice side of the ledger. And I don't mean to put you on the spot like like I yeah. did with the gate at Old Trafford. Uh, you can say gate A. Um, yeah, it's gate but, A. 
But you want to give me who is your prime example? And I'll you know where I'm going, so I'm going to let you kind of ruminate for a second. I can talk for a little bit as you're like, okay, hold on, yeah, let me go ge- through. Gears who are turning very, here. Yeah, who's synonymous with the franchise? Who's been a great steward? Who really is is pumping out value? And so, who do you think in? I'll give you a big five. Who do you think which owner that if he or she said, "I'm selling tomorrow," and if it was a publicly traded company? the stock price would go down. Who would Wall Street and analysts miss the most? There's there's two names that jump out to me. And I By do the way, really good job of giving you time uh, to think. You did, and really I appreciate that. Job. And yeah. I wish I had an hour to actually think about this. The two <laughs> that jump out to me, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well. Uh, Steve Ballmer in LA jumps out to me as someone who is doing a lot of interesting things, obviously has a lot deep pockets to do those things. And I do think if the if the Clippers had different stewardship and particularly if they had an owner who was nowhere near as liquid or as rich or ambitious as Steve Ballmer is, I do wonder what would happen there. And the other one, and it's, it's kind of similar. Uh, I think the Mets are worth a bit less, uh, if Steve Cohen is not the person at the helm, right? The, he is spending, he is spending a lot of money. Um, we've seen in baseball at the top, top tier, as we saw with the Dodgers spending, uh, can, can buy you wins and it can buy you success. Uh, in Major League Baseball, maybe not World Series titles, but I don't think anybody who follows the sport believes that the Mets are going to be a bad team. I think anyone believes that they are going to be uh, significantly better in the next decade than they were in the past decade from a performance standpoint, and that is because Steve Cohen is going to spend to get them to that point. Uh, So I think of both those teams, and I think of those owners kind of similarly in a way, but I think with, with with less financially viable owners, both those teams, big market teams that are worth a lot of money right now, I think are potentially worth less without them. See, now I think of how Kurt Bodenhausen values these entities and wins and losses, of course, drive. But we look at the 10 polls and I'm looking at media, I'm looking at real estate, I'm looking at tech. And I wonder, man, if it's if it's not Gerald Jones in Dallas, if it's not Joe Lacob with the Warriors. Yeah. Uh, I, I think those franchises take a hit as well. If it's not Grossbeck and Paliuka in Boston, I, I think they take a bit of a hit. Uh, th- those, those, those folks have proven that they know how to drive value. And, and, and without getting too into the weeds here, it, it also depends on how these things, how we think about this question, right? Because if, if, if Ted Leonsis were to sell the Capitals and the yeah. Wizards, but not another the good building one, the and the yeah. RSN. Yeah, that, then I think those teams are definitely worth less because they're no longer part of this big family of entities that includes the building and includes the media, etc. So yeah, it also depends on, on kind of how, how big the portfolio is and what, what gets cleaved off. But yeah, I don't think if, I think if we spent a lot of time thinking about this, Scott, I don't think we'd end up with any kind of cute answer. I think the answers are a lot of the more progressive owners out there that are willing to kind of break the mold and are also willing to invest in the teams that they have. You're going to hate me for this, but you know how my brain works. So like this, I'm sorry, I just have to do it to you. You said cleaved off and yeah. you know, you and I take five minutes before to say, all right, what do we want to talk about? We don't, it's not a whole lot of preparation, which is why I think sometimes we get a little scatterbrained and it's fine because <laughs> I like the conversation that is derived from it. But you said cleaved off and that made me think of George Klievkoff. That made me think of the Pac-12 media. <laughs> oh, like gosh. has everybody backed out? And we didn't discuss this one, but has everybody backed out? So now they're like stuck like, well, Apple's here and do we have to take less? And uh, I know you've been following it. Like is the Pac-12 
in a bad spot. I mean, let's remember Larry Scott was like, I'm going to hoard all the rights. There's so much value Mm -hmm. in meteorites. I'm going to hoard them all. And I know everybody's doing these great deals and we're, it seemingly we're left behind, but you wait for the day when our rights come together and we have 100% of it in our, in our control. Well, we're here, we're there, we're now, we're losing UCLA, we're losing USC. Where do they stand? Like what? And and it's a good segue to Apple because you were participating in sort of an Apple event today. So I want to go for the the Pac-12 first and then you can segue any way you want to where you were. But I think Apple's in a pretty good position if they want to figure out how to sort of... What I love about the Pac-12 is you get a lot of Olympic sports and there's global appeal there and you could stream that to the younger audience around the world. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, even though we had not talked about it, prepared for it, or anything at all. I was going to say, in, in fairness to Larry Scott, I don't think he foresaw this media rights negotiation happening without USC and UCLA oh, for, in the conference. If I may be so bold, for damn sure he didn't think of it like that. Yeah, so so in a lot of ways, losing the, the two stars of, of the league obviously hurt the Pac-12. Uh, you could say the same thing about the Big 12 as well, right, Scott? They're, they're losing Texas and Oklahoma, and new commissioner Brett Yormark came in, moved extremely quickly, his rights are technically up after the Pac-12, but he made a point to open those talks and close those talks before, before the Pac-12 did. That is looking increasingly like a great decision. I think a lot of people in the college sports world were kind of curious, thinking about the Big 12 and the Pac-12, not just because they're losing their, their two best members each, but also just kind of where they are in the fabric of college sports, thinking about them kind of similarly and kind of curious who was going to get the bigger deal when it all came said and done. I think the longer the Pac-12 goes without a deal, I think the better that that that, that head-to-head looks for the Big 12, right? They move quickly. They got a deal done. It was a very big value increase. It seems less and less likely that the Pac-12 is going to get Big 12 money uh, at some point. And, and again, this is against the backdrop of the Pac-12 having, having trailed behind all four of its other Power 5 conferences in revenue for the past decade because of the thing you just said about uh, about Larry Scott. So, yeah, it's it's a tough time right now for the Pac-12, and, and the longer these rights negotiations go along, and having Apple in there, probably from a, from a money standpoint, is, is really nice. Uh, I think from a distribution standpoint and maybe a reach standpoint, it's maybe not as nice, and, and we'll see when it's all said and done what those, what those presidents and what those athletic directors in the end decide to do. But, yeah, the, the, the longer we go without a deal here... I think the better things look for rivals of the Pac-12 and not the Pac-12 itself. All right, Soshnik added value trumpet alert right here. I mean, it, and I know I'm going to hear from Brett on this one because he better listen to the show. But, you know, Brett does everything big, big collars, yeah. big cufflinks. I wonder what cufflinks he's wearing today. That would be a fun thing to sort of like check in every day and say, hey, which cufflinks are you going with? He must, he must have a, like so many sets in his drawer. Like he wakes up in the morning, oh, which ones? You know, Brett, so he, you know, he's sending off firing off emails to staff at like 3 a.m. While he's, should I wear this? Should I wear that? I mean, he must have some different new ones in the collection. I think he's got like a Baylor now. bear. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Like well, I don't know if he can be State school Cowboy. specific. I don't know if he wants to go school specific, but it, it could be genre or yeah, that, that kind of specific, yeah. which, which I find interesting. Uh, also value add here. Um, you know, Brett's family uh, owns the restaurant Fresco by Scotto in New mm-hmm. York City. And it's not on the menu. But if you dine with Brett, you can at the culmination of your meal. And by the way, food's great. Um, if you, uh, if you are with Brett, you can get the chef special coconut sorbet afterwards, which is 
absolutely dynamite. Not on hmm. the menu. The, it's Brett's favorite, I think. So, you know, Brett likes to order that. Damn good. Who oh, had Fresco by Scotto uh, secret menu items on their Sportacast bingo? Nobody. That's for, what uh, I'm talking about. <laughs> value for February twenty third, Scott. Yeah, that. That. Well, who, we, hey, you and I didn't even have Pac twelve media on our list, exactly. But, but, exactly. but we went there. <laughs> exactly. So all right, so Apple in the mix there, but you were in the mix uh, at one oh six in Park in uh, in Manhattan today, uh, taking part in an Apple event. Tell me what you saw. And tell me why you were there and tell me what they want you to take away from it. Major League Soccer's season kickoff media day took place at 106 and Park. That's a name that I think a lot of our listeners will know from the, from the famous show, yeah. BET show uh, from back in the day. Uh, MLS and, and Apple built out that studio. It's going to be the main studio for a lot of the, the, the production and content that MLS is putting out with Apple. Um, this is a, I think it's a fascinating time right now for, for MLS and not just because they're entering into this new Apple deal, 10 year deal, going to pay the league an, uh, at least six, two point, at least 2.5 billion, Scott, maybe even more depending on how it goes. I can the, do this math, man. $250 million a year, $250 million a year, significantly more than the league was getting from its TV partners in the past. Uh, a lot of people in, in the sports world. Looking at MLS, seeing what, what, what their experience is like going, going full digital. It's a global platform, right? So, so the season pass on Apple includes international rights. It includes domestic national rights, and it includes all 29 teams, local rights. And I got to tell you, I mean, you'll agree with me on this one. Soccer at MLS, great, but soccer desperately needs some sort of streamline as to where I can find everything. It's everywhere. It's, it's, it is it's absolutely ab- it's dizzy. Absolutely I have no idea other than my EPL on Saturday morning. I have absolutely no idea where to find stuff. Now, I mean, if I can default my brain into MLS, Apple. Okay, simple. I know there'll be some linear component. I got it. I'll, I mean, I can probably handle that when the time comes. But everything else is such a scattered approach that I don't think it's good for the sport. It's the, it's the only league, certainly in America right now, and maybe the only league globally at, at its scale that can say, if you want to watch a game, I don't care where you are in the, in the world yep. or what game it is, this is the platform and it's the same platform for everybody. Um, and, and the MLS clearly sees value in that. I will also say, Scott, what's happening with Bally Sports right now and the uncertainty around potential bankruptcy there. Uh, I, I know there are people at MLS that feel very confident and and happy that that they are no longer in that world where they have teams with individual local partners that might be going bankrupt or trying to renegotiate deals or things like that. They, they are now kind of insulated in, in a lot of ways from whatever happens with the RSN model. I'm sure there's some, some confidence there. Some other big news, Scott, out of MLS uh, this week. The league re-upped, extended its partnership with Adidas. The last extension was a six-year, $700 million deal. This one, I'm told, is a six-year, $830 million deal. So a nice little bump up in in pay. There's a lot more teams in MLS, Scott, now now than there was back when that other deal was negotiated. So on a per-team basis, you can maybe even make an argument that it's less. Not that that's the way these deals come together. But uh, starting a new, way more lucrative media deal re-upping its its biggest from a financial standpoint, its biggest sponsor, its biggest on-field partner, and its longest running. Adidas has been with the league since since day one back in 1996. Um, There's a whole lot of things in there, I think, momentum that that folks at MLS, at least publicly, are speaking about the league. I think the big challenge now is they need to grow the fan base. 
right? And and is is the Apple deal the right way to do that? Is is extending with Adidas the right way to do that? I think we're going to see, but oh, everything so is in place. Valuations are good. They just need to grow the fan base. You're killing me. There's so many like there's so many things bouncing in my brain <laughs> that like would have been better said like right when you were going about, but I don't like so I would say Adidas still has three stripes. You know, not, that has not grown. What ha- <laughs> how many did K-Swiss have? How many stripes oh, on the K-Swiss? Oh, jeez. Five, maybe? Five? Yeah, yeah, five, blue, blue and I'm, red. I think I'm picturing yeah, may, five. May, maybe too much. But this is also, by the way, this is what goes <laughs> through my brain as you're talking. Because we're, we're trying to like, where do I find these things? It's just disparate um, viewing channels. Uh, we're almost at that uh, favorite time of the year when we flip the calendar where everybody scrambles to find where True TV is on their mm-hmm. lineup. Whether <laughs> I have no idea. Your brain is really bouncing around. But this today. is how this is how it works. This is how my brain works. I don't know. You talked about oh, there are different different ways. But it's a good segue to the NBA and All Star numbers. You know, not great. Lowest All Star. Really, you know. really bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I was only there for the technology summit. I did not stay for the Friday night or the Saturday night and Sunday. Not Scott's game fault. And stuff. Not my <laughs> fault. Not no, fault. wasn't my fault. I was at home. Like I counted as a viewer. If, if you know, if Neil, the old Nielsen box. Uh, if they want to count me, that would be in home, not out of home. Um, but the NBA moving forward, it has to ask itself that same existential question. And they too have a, a, a I think a a preponderance of the evidence would show a younger ish fan mm-hmm. fan group. The question is, what part of your content now? What marquee exclusivity? Are you willing to grant to a streaming service, whether it be Apple, Amazon, whatever it may be, to take the money versus a diminution in reach? Now, you know, that's why everybody's looking at MLS intently, because I don't think anybody doubts that they're reaching fewer people. Like that was a calculated decision by MLS owners. We want the money now, but we can also be at at, you know a part of the vanguard here and and be out front and say this is good for our audience. Here's why we we skew younger, they're tech savvy, the global one spot. I get all that. That's good. Now the NBA is in a little bit more like an advantageous position in that they obviously the number is already higher. Uh, it is a more established global property. So it's a different jumping off point, but it is still the same existential question. It is dollars versus reach. What are we willing to give up to uh, get the dollars from a streaming service, which would accelerate where we think, and when I say we, I mean those in the industry, commissioners, owners, where we think this is all headed, you know, which is a a more direct consumer, a more personalized property. And we talked about what Adam Silver did show at Tech Summit, where they're going to let viewers say, pick their language, pick their camera angle, put their avatar in the game. That's what the kids want. So it, it really is that push and pull of what are we willing to give up and what do we think we're getting? So and, and that, we're that, finally, that's how my brain works. And we're finally at a, at a point where I think the, it's, it's safe to say that almost entirely the tech concerns are, are gone. The, the, the way that the NFL success with Amazon this year, first time that Amazon had a real exclusive package in the NFL. There were no kind of major tech problems, no major lag concerns. How about the, Super- the Fox stream of the Super Bowl? Super Bowl, the Fox stream of the Super Bowl, a- ahead of the cable for, for a yeah. lot of people around the country. For so long, a lot of the concerns for, for leagues like the NFL or the NBA about doing exclusivity with tech companies was around the tech concerns, right? And, and those actually seem to be gone. 
So, so do I we do need think- to hey, let's let's talk about this by the way. Yeah. Like, since do we need to talk about sort of the Fox strategy of all this? Like they didn't invest uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in a streaming service. Their strategy the is only collect one. the yeah. best right, like collect the best rights. They're watching people sink a ton of money into streaming and not seeing the ROI right now and they're like, "Hey, you know what? Our we're going to stick with our philosophy of let's just collect great properties and great rights." Yeah. Yeah, it's an it's a total it's a it's a fascinating shift because it, it is you're right it's it's totally different from what ESPN is looking at it's it's yep. different from what NBC and Peacock are looking at or, or even CBS and and Paramount, Paramount Plus yeah everybody dove into this thing and Fox did not and I do think it's a it's a bit too early to to sure. to to, to uh, assign whether you know which strategy worked better but but the truth is again there's this weird dichotomy where the um the money is still in the kind of traditional model but the population is increasingly shifting towards the the digital model right and 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 trying to keep your feet in both of those pools and and make money primarily from the old one while trying to figure out exactly when the monetization flips over how you're going to make money in the second pool i think is the kind of the, the central challenge for all of these companies when it comes to their sports rights and the nba is going to be hitting the market right now in the next few months, uh, hitting that exact moment where uh, the, the money is starting to shift over a bit. All right. So my question is, last time the NBA did its rights deal, Ted Leonsis, who was, I believe, on the broadcast committee or the media committee, whatever they call it, said there's never been a better time to be an NBA owner. Question to you is when this next media rights deal is done for the NBA, will Ted Leonsis go to the microphone and say there's never been a better time to be an NBA owner? I, it wouldn't shock me. I think it's true for almost all of the sports teams and leagues right now, right? There's never number been a better time to down. be an NFL owner. Yeah, there's never been a better time to down. be an NHL owner. Yeah. There's never been a better time to be an MLS owner. Yeah, I think it's it is, it is at least in the past two decades has proved to be an evergreen statement that Every time new rights are up, there's never been a better time to be an owner of any of these leagues. And, and, and who knows how long that's going to continue. But it was true when Ted said it. And if he said it tomorrow, I think it would be true tomorrow as well. I, I look forward to seeing what Ted's proclamation is once, once those deals are done. Uh, you wanted to talk about a Brewers pitcher in arbitration, and you know where my head went. So uh, maybe I'll spare the audience as to where my head went. But <laughs> if we maybe have you people won't. in my age bracket which is the non-streamers. But if we have people, listeners in that age bracket, I think they'll appreciate my take. So um, I'll, I'll let you go first and then I'll, I'll say where I, my brain went. I just thought this was a kind of a really interesting and maybe undercovered sports business story. Uh, so Corbin Burns, who is a pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers and one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball, uh, he went to salary arbitration this year uh, with his club, for folks who don't know kind of what salary arbitration is, when a player is a few years into his Major League Baseball service, but not yet a free agent, um, there's a process by which a player who thinks that he's worth more than he's being paid can essentially say what he thinks he's worth. The team but says what, what they're offer. worth. Yeah, yeah. and there's a delta. Exactly. Yeah. So Corbin, uh, again, one of the best pitchers in baseball, uh, thought that he should be paid $10.75 million, which is, I think, around the 50th best pitcher in baseball if you just go off off salary. The Brewers said that they thought he was worth just around $10 million, so a $700,000 difference. Uh, they could not reach an agreement. They went oh, to but arbitration. But we should say, by the way, you should yeah. say in arbitration, what, one of the uncomfortable points of arbitration is the team that pays you, that you play for, that you're supposed to work hard for, the, their job, in essence, in arbitration 
is to tell somebody why you don't deserve exactly what you're asking. So it's really pointing out all of your 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 problems. It's not it's not a comfortable process. And, and Corbin said as much. There, there's an interview he gave, I believe, at their at their spring training facility where he goes through all this, Scott, and he says at one point the team. In, in the arbitration hearing, said that he was the main reason why they missed the playoffs. Ouch. Uh, and again, he, he he even says it. He's like, that, that seemed like totally out of bounds and, and not something that needed to be said at all. Uh, so the, the arbitrator, ruled, they ruled in favor of the Brewers. So the Brewers get to pay him $700,000 less. But again, this is a team that had a hundred and, and four, almost $140 million payroll at the end of last season. This is $700,000 fighting what against is this guy's psyche happiness. hundred percent. If I'm the, the Yankees Milwaukee or the Brewers. Dodgers, I'm calling the Brewers tomorrow, trying to inquiring about, uh, about what it takes to acquire him. It just, and I'd love to talk to someone at the Brewers about the economics here, but it seems to me like, uh, the, 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 the long-term value loss here. Of arguing, of, of angering, and and souring a relationship with one of the best young pitchers in baseball is is dramatically worse than the seven hundred thousand. Obviously, the Brewers see it differently, and I would love to know if if their feeling is that they can mend this relationship if they genuinely feel like he's he's not worth this money, and if 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 he ends up pitching somewhere else in a year or in six months uh, at a higher salary, they actually feel okay with that. I'm very curious about this because on the outside looking in, it just seems like one of those, uh, one of those sports business things that maybe makes sense in a very small vacuum. They are paying him less than they would have if they had acquiesced to, to what he thought he was worth. But in the long term, feels like it's probably financially significantly worse for the Milwaukee Brewers. I didn't know this guy won the Cy Young Award in 2021. Yeah, I mean, he is. I think by almost any metric, he is a top five pitcher in the National League. Can you spell Burns, by the way? Uh, <laughs> B-U-R-N-E-S. It's a, there's an E. So I'm wondering if like maybe yeah, the, the, the official score, there's an E. Maybe the Brewers made an error on this one. <laughs> oh, God. I didn't know. I would have just said B-U-R-N-S. I didn't know there was an E in there. And <laughs> and now where my brain was in, this is where you start to roll your eyes and get oh, mad boy. at me. But tough. Well, no. Like when you said, I want to talk about Corbin Burns, in my brain, I hear Corbin Burns in, which, you know, is Arnie Becker on LA Law. And of course, definitely in in a bunch of movies. So you know, uh, major league included at third base. What was yep. his name in, what was his name in, uh, in Dorn, major league? Do you Roger remember Dorn? Dorn? Yeah, Billy, yeah. Roger Dorn. Yeah. yeah. Great yeah, character. Where, yeah. Like, see, I, I wouldn't, I could take him to arbitration cause he didn't want to get in front of the ground ball. Yeah. Yeah. You could, you could, you could say some things about his, uh, his fielding performance in, uh, in arbitration for sure. All right. I wanted to end with this and we were kind of a little over time, but I just found an interesting, a story came across variety that Ryan Reynolds, his uh, production company, maximum effort that they're, they're part uh, owners of a $1.2 million uh, project in, near Toronto. It's a state-of-the-art studio in Toronto. So now I'm starting to see why or how it all comes together. I was wondering why Ryan Reynolds sort of um, committed himself to the Remington Group as bidders on the Ottawa Senators. Remington Group is a big Canadian yeah. real estate firm. I think there's a lot going on here in the real estate world. It's one of the ten poles, as we say, and Senators going to want a new building, I'm starting to see the play here. It's all coming into focus. And if if the two main tentpoles that we talk about are are real estate and media around sports, uh, I feel very confident that Ryan has figured out uh, the, the media portion of this. What he's done at Wrexham, I think, is a really awesome case study uh, in, in in drumming up interest around an asset that he essentially paid no no money for at all. Uh, but Real estate's a whole different animal, right? And I don't believe that Ryan Reynolds has the real estate thing figured out. So it seems like a smart and savvy understanding on on his part of the thing he brings to this ownership group and the thing that he does not. 
and trying to find a partner that is going to bring the things that he does not. And by the way, did you see that uh, Netflix has a quarterback show? Did you see that came out like right before we started recording? I, I did see that. Yeah, the, I get it, Pat Mahomes and he, his his company is part of it, um, but no Joe Burrow, no Bills quarterback, no Dak Prescott, no Jalen Hurts. Like no offense to those that are that are in it, Kirk Cousins and Marcus Mariota, but. I wonder if the other two, and this really just happened, so we don't know, but I wonder if the yeah. other QB said no or what it was. I just can't imagine that those were picks one, two, and three. One, yes, but not two and three. And don't forget that for Drive to Survive, for all of the attention that it got, Lewis Hamilton season said no. one, yeah, no Sebastian Vettel, no Lewis Hamilton. So this is the kind of thing that, yeah, I think if I'm Patrick Mahomes, I'm like, do a year. Let me see how this works. If it's but great, his, his production company's part of it, so I mean, he he actually has some. He actually is okay. So yeah. for if I'm Joe Burrow, yeah, it's it's. I'm going to see if this is great, and I will be in season two, and I'll be a central part of season two if this is successful. And if it's not, I'm glad I didn't wade my way in. But uh, yeah, I think the NFL. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago. What's next for the NFL? One of the things they really want is 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 non scripted content. Being yeah. doing more than just live. Hello, Skydance. Exactly, uh, and, and this is a principal example of of them trying to work with their partners and and figure out ways to be even more three hundred and sixty five days a year than they already are. All right, so if we could be media on media, and if I had cameras following us as we were planning Sportico throughout the years and the creation <laughs> and the and the meetings and the you know who plays Eben Novi Williams in the. Uh, it's not going to be real life. We're going to do it. We're going to do a mockumentary. Who, who oh, plays I'm that movie? Williams. I think you're going to do it yourself. Yeah, for sure. I right. want all that money. I'm not going to pay someone else to to play me. There he is. He is yeah. Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. Producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much. Digital media editor, Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of the Sportico Media Network.